I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Sammy Cohn and Elizabeth Endres are Femme Pharmacy. They are a new podcast hosted on the same platform as the Second Shift podcast. So we're like cousin podcasts. And it's all about women's health. And a lot of the issues that aren't talked about, that are really talked about between friends, but whether it's chronic pain, autoimmune issues, inflammation, the connection between Lyme disease, things that people are really suffering with and suffering silently or having confusion about. They are exposing, talking about their own health journey. And it's a great way to share information and to feel like you have a connection with other people going through something similar if you are suffering with Lyme disease, pelvic pain, some of the issues that come up for women at different points in time in their life. And we had a really interesting conversation about the mental health component with that. And also because I'm a different age group, we talked about the menopause piece of it, where this is a a conversation that exists throughout your life with your friends, with your doctors at different points in time. So we're there at the beginning of their, let's say, fertility journey and some of the things that are coming up in their life, it doesn't end. It just, it just keeps going. So we celebrate women and we talk about the very unique aspects of the women's health journey. So this is really fun. And, you know, you guys focus on women's health with Femme Pharmacy. And I think that's so important. Women have been silent for too long about the things that we're supposed to just grin and bear and like deal with. And, you know, it really hurts. Oh, well, that's just what it must be. So exposing that and talking about it and making sure that other people realize that what might be considered normal isn't is so important. So thank you so much for doing that. And Femme Pharmacy, you just launched your podcast. Congratulations. How's it going? And What made you do this? What made you dive into this podcasting world? Yeah, thank you. And we really appreciate you having us on. We're excited to just be on the other side of the mic and talk about the things that we're so passionate about. But just to kind of give a little background, Sammy and I met actually through Instagram a little less than a year ago. And I had put out a post about interstitial cystitis, which is this like complicated bladder condition where you have kind of like unexplained pain. and One of her friends sent it to her and she slid into my DM and sent me a message. And we just really deeply connected right away across the board with all of our weird health conditions that so many people don't get, women included. Um, If you haven't experienced it, you're not likely to understand or fully empathize. And so we just really had this immediate support system and connection with each other. And we had so many resources that we had each uncovered over the years, whether that would be for Lyme or endo or mold or chronic UTIs. And we were like, we have to do something with this. We have to create a resource for other women that are struggling because we know there are so many out there. Sammy, was this something that you had been dealing with for a long time? Is it Was it Lyme or what, what was your health journey that led you to reach out to Elizabeth? 
Oh my God, that would take up the entirety of this podcast, but I'll try and summarize it in a few quick words. I have been on a healing journey for about five years now. I developed chronic pelvic pain in 2018. It initially started with what I thought was a UTI, and then I received a diagnosis of interstitial cystitis. Now, actually, they prefer to call it painful bladder syndrome because it's difficult to really understand why it's happening to you, similar to IBS. I feel like IBS is something that most people understand. It's like something's wrong with your gut, but you don't really know why. I like to think of interstitial cystitis as IBS of the bladder. I think it helps people to relate to it a little bit. And it turns out that my IC was connected to a lot of other things that had been brewing under the surface, but that I had been sort of managing for a while, like endometriosis and Lyme disease and co-infections and other things that go with Lyme, like mold exposure. So it really became this like multi-year journey of peeling back all of these layers, treating things one at a time. And I unfortunately went through a lot of hardships because I didn't know what I was doing and there wasn't resources available. So I was trying everything all at once. I was throwing the kitchen sink at things. I was running to every doctor I could find and trying every procedure and treatment that they offered to me. So one of the things that I really had in mind when I messaged Elizabeth was, can I save her some of the pain that I went through? I think the first thing I said to her was like, I see that you have IC. We have a ton of mutual friends. I've been down this path. There are things that you absolutely should not do. And there are things that really helped me. If you want to talk about it, I'm here to share. And for me, that was really the beginning of having this inspirational moment that I needed to help women not basically handle it the way I handled it. That's really generous. And when you got Sammy's DM, how did that, I mean, that's such a funny, like 2023 way to like start a friendship and then also now start a business together. I love that story. Did it just like ring bells and really hit with what was going on in your life? I was so excited. (laughs) Like I remember telling my boyfriend about it, like there's this girl and she's in my DM and she's got the same problems as me. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. And I was like, no, really, like I can feel that there's a connection here. She gets it. She's also like immediately here for me and we don't even know each other. And I just so in that moment needed that. And I really believe it was part of the reason why I even put out that post. Like I put it out on Sweats in the City, which is my blog and Instagram, which is very fitness based. But every once in a while, I share my health stuff on there and just kind of see if it lands with someone. It's it's certainly not our main demographic, but... I really had put it out there hoping to attract exactly Sammy. So while I don't love it for Sammy that she's had all these health issues, I do really appreciate that we were able to come together. I'm so grateful that, you know, she went out of her comfort zone to, it's not easy to DM someone out of the blue about your bladder, you know, but I really, I think it was very synchronistic and I had always hoped to find someone like Sammy. So it, I was so grateful. Okay. So that's really sweet. So you guys, you have a platform, Sweats in the City, that's a a huge platform around health and fitness. And you guys now have this podcast that's talking about 
health and wellness and women's health. And it requires a lot of being open and vulnerable and really exposed in a hugely public way. I struggle with that in this podcast and with the things we're doing when it's personal, where it feels awkward to me to like, it's one thing when it's like for the business, which I understand and I get the vision and what we're doing and how we're talking to people. But when it it feels like it's me talking about me in a way that I don't know, there's like, that gets like cringy. (laughs) How do you get past that? And how have you been able to like make the two pieces combine? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing sweats for over eight years now. So at first I was certainly not comfortable with sharing personal elements of my life. And I've sort of through trial and error, I've also shared too much at certain points and had people be a little too curious about my personal life. So I've kind of reeled that back to a degree. Like there's certain things I don't really talk about on there. Relationships being one of them. I just think it's so personal and private and it involves other people. So I try to keep that to myself as much as possible. That said, the more that I've put out things, especially about my health on sweats, like let's say a couple years ago, the more that people have kind of come out of the woodwork and really connected with me. So I think it's been a little bit of learning through the positive reinforcement of others that's allowed me to open up and be like, okay, this is safe. And there are other people that this will connect with. Maybe it's not everyone. And maybe some people will have negative things to say, which comes with the territory. But if I can touch a few people and connect with them and make them feel less alone, I'm here for that. And then on top of that, I really think having really dealt with the Instagram people and the trolls and the cancellations and like all of that over many years, for some reason, podcasts feel like a safer space to me. I feel like if you're going out of your way to go into the podcast app and find my podcast and listen to me talking for 60 minutes or so, you're less likely to be a troll. And if you are a troll, you're like really trolling deep and like probably a little too dedicated to the cause. But for some reason, it just feels like a safer space where I can really get into these health issues, the bladder stuff, like stuff that's so personal that maybe I wouldn't be as comfortable saying to an audience of 200,000 people on Instagram, if that makes sense. No, it definitely does. Let's talk about the health journey because I, you know, talking about being personal and exposed, like I have an autoimmune issue. It came out of nowhere. It was most assuredly stress-induced. It's definitely gone now that, that I've been able to figure out how to deal with stress differently. And, you know, we talk about chronic illness and inflammation and Lyme disease. Well, Lyme disease, I want to put in a separate category, but like a lot of the autoimmune stuff that we have back pain, things that are real, but also are so much controlled by like stress or mental health or, you know, they compound upon themselves. And that's hard to talk about, but also hard for people to really want to hear. Right. Do you like, does that something that you, that has come up within your podcast? That especially resonates with me. Something that I was thinking about when you asked your last question is how do you handle putting yourself out there. And that's a huge element with the mental health component as well, because this is an incredibly vulnerable space. But I do think that if you don't handle the mental health component of all of this, then you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And I really resonate with people who have a hard time with that because for years, I refused to believe that mental health was a part of this. For me, it felt like either 
an excuse or a cop out or a way for doctors to dismiss me. So I focused very, very heavily on the physical and testing and things that I could physically point to and prove because I didn't want doctors to tell me, oh, it was all in my head. And the more that I've learned that mental health is a part of this, not that it's in your head, but that pain is processed in the brain and stress affects your adrenals, your inflammation, your cortisol, things that are directly related to how well and how fast you heal. If you think of mental health as a part of health and not like a psychiatric problem that is crazy or, you know, problematic, then I think that it's a healthier way to see how mental health is intrinsic into the healing process. Also, like we're one system. It's not separate people. So like you're, and it's hard, I think sometimes it's hard for people to get behind the idea that their thoughts and their emotions and their feelings could cause them to have physical symptoms. And there's such a trust in science and doctors as the people who you go to for the answer and the solution and that's it. And you're going to give me a medication and then we're going to have an answer and a diagnosis and it's going to go away. And it's like the control of that where it's like, you know, you have to take the control back into yourself. And that's harder. That's harder for people to really get behind because it puts it back on you instead of making it external to how it's going to solve. And I think there's also a big difference between going to the doctor and like, you know, me going to the gynecologist a million times before I knew what was wrong with me and having her say like, I think it's anxiety or depression and offering to prescribe me an antidepressant. There's a huge difference between that kind of like minimizing what you're feeling and, and sort of like this putting a, a mask over it or a bandaid on it versus me like putting in the actual work, doing somatic healing, getting like this cycle of trauma and sickness out of my body. And also taking Lexapro while I'm at it, because that is something that has been a very beneficial add-on for me, but not taking it as a Band-Aid, more so I'm viewing it as part of my holistic healing picture, because I really do believe that so much of this is stress and it might not be the cause, but it might be exacerbating it or, you know, it's so different for everyone. And it's so hard to say, like, you know, we, we always want to steer away from saying like, it's in your head. However, your head can make things a lot worse. It's a part of it. You know, it doesn't negate the fact that it's true. It just, it can cause it and it also doesn't make it better. No, I think women also have internalized a lot of these historical social elements. Like if you go back to female hysteria being taken out of the DSM-5 and being replaced with these other diagnoses, it's like we're trying to move out of this space and way of thinking where women are just losing their minds and making things up. And I think that we've all internalized through culture that we're really scared that people will minimize and gaslight our experiences just because we're women. So it's very challenging to admit that mental health could play a role. At least that's the way I saw it. 
I was going through a stressful period when my symptoms started and doctors very easily wanted to tell me that I was having a nervous breakdown. And I knew I wasn't. I knew that the stress had caused my body to not be able to manage my symptoms any longer. And it was like the floodgates opened and everything came out. But that doesn't mean that I was either like making it up or seeking attention or needing a different outlet for what I was feeling. I think that that's the fear that women have in admitting problems around mental health. It's funny because I'm at the different end of the spectrum of women's health, right? So you guys are very young and the things that come up in your life where it's it's fertility or sex or whatever, I'm in the place now where that, those conversations aren't happening anymore, but the conversation around symptoms, menopause, perimenopause, that's now replaced all of those other conversations because you're like, well, this weird thing is now happening to me and this thing is happening. Or I don't know, my doctor says that because I still get my period, I don't need to be on hormone replacement therapy. But this person is saying, who's an endocrinologist, that like it's better to be on it 10 years before. And there's so much information and the symptoms of what happens are so crazy. And you're like, well, my hair's falling out. And, you know, I'm losing, I'm gaining weight. I'm, you know, just all these things that like all come out of the blue. And as a person who doesn't like to blame it on, you're like, well, I don't know. Is this, is this a mental, is this real, is this stress induced? And you're like, no, this is just like a factor of life. And it's so, there's so much misinformation. It's so confusing. And the medical community, I don't feel like they're up to speed on where women are and what they want. It's kind of like, okay, we have hormone replacements. We're not going to suffer anymore. But when you take it, how you take it, if it's good for you, if your doctor doesn't think it's a good idea, if it does, like your journey is going to be so different based on literally what doctor you go to. Yeah. It's so crazy. Obviously the topics that we cover and and we want to get more into menopause and perimenopause and cover like across all of the ages. I'm in the process of learning more about all of it. But from what you're saying, we relate so much from the perspective of women going through some sort of health journey, shift in the body, whatever you want to call it, and not knowing where to go and, and or having like aggregated resources, right? You're trying to pull all these different doctors. You're asking your friends. Everyone has a different opinion. Like I think the birth control pill is a similar thing where like what works for you may not work for someone else, but there is value in putting it out there because there's 10 out of 10 times someone that will relate and or just appreciate the openness of the conversation because these kinds of health changes or journeys can feel so isolating. I also really relate in that menopause has been called, you know, like the not sexy area of women's health. And that's why people either don't talk about it or don't focus on it. It hasn't been this yeah, like focused on area. And the things that Elizabeth and I go through, whether it's chronic UTIs, chronic infections, like pelvic pain induced by Lyme disease, like these aren't the quote unquote, like sexy, normal, fun things to talk about when it comes to women's health, like you said, fertility, sex, period health, etc. So 
it's like, we're already sort of on the fringes. And I think that that makes me relate a little bit. But then at the same time, I really see it as like, menopause is going to happen to every single woman. And I want to know how to deal with it when I get there. If you're lucky, right? You want to be, if you're lucky and yes, you get to, to get to that age, to get to the age where you get to be in menopause, which just brings up my, this is a funny, just a, not to cut you off, but I have a, the world's greatest gynecologist. I love him so much. Dr. David Fields. I love him so much. He's like the kind of person like you get past his name through other people. He's also like a mm-hmm. fertility specialist and like high-risk pregnancy guy. And he's very into hormone replacement therapy and testing and all this stuff. And I, I asked him one day, I was like, why are you doing this? Are you just trying to torture me? Like, what is the point of all this? And why, you know, is it all that, do all doctors make people do this? And he was like, you weren't supposed to be alive evolutionarily. Like, why do men not deal with and have babies much longer? Why are women's fertility rate, like, why can't we have babies later? Why do, does menopause happen? All that stuff. He's like, well, a hundred years ago, you were done having babies and you, and you were going to die. So like, wow. that was the purpose of where your biological system is and your hormones and your sex and your reproductive system. He was like, you have not evolutionarily caught up to where the age that you are going to be able to have or want to have children or live long enough to, which I thought was like a really interesting perspective. Cause it's like, you're right yeah. in the course of history, like a hundred years is nothing. Right. And it explains why women are now able to have babies later and later. Like we're, we're pushing the evolution <laughs> and, med- <Yeah. laughs> and medicine is getting there. It's just not there yet. Totally. Sorry. I, I cut you off, Sammy. I can't remember what we're talking about. I don't either, but I think that the the evolutionary perspective is a really interesting one. And I was always really obsessed with evolution and Darwinism and evolutionary psychology. And I took a ton of classes around that in college. And I was having a conversation with a friend the other day about why men are viewed as expendable in society. And they're the ones that like go to war and it's always like protect the women and children. And it's because humans are like biologically hardwired to protect the means of reproduction, which is women. But at the same time, like what that made me think of when you said that is if you think about it, one man can impregnate 30 women in a 30, you know, day window. And then all of those women are having babies and our race, our species is continuing and being propagated, which is what we are literally meant to be doing on this planet is it is what our like quote unquote purpose if you believe in darwinism so no wonder women are so fragile because like if you think about it in the other perspective you need way more women than men to continue on the species so like women need to be in some ways like protected we can't be putting ourselves in the line of fire we can't be hurting ourselves like maybe our fragility in a way is actually our protective mechanism and the way that we are hardwired to protect our bodies so that we stay safe and continue to have babies and our species continues. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. We're obviously stronger in many senses. Sex. <laughs> totally. Uh, I just want to, before we wrap this up, I just want to talk about Lyme disease because I know that this is something we hear about all the time. And I, I didn't know that there was any connection between Lyme disease and like pelvic issues or gut issues. But and then I was listening to your podcast and that's something that you guys talk about. 
And I'm just curious, what is the story there? So there's a lot of layers to it. And I think one that I've experienced is having this chronic Lyme kind of at the surface level has affected my immune system in a way that when I'm getting these recurrent UTIs or yeast infections or whatever it may be, I'm not able to necessarily fight it off like someone who doesn't have Lyme or doesn't have an autoimmune condition or something that's impacting their immune system. I think that another piece of it that Sammy and I are really passionate about preaching because not everyone knows is there are certain co-infections of Lyme that fall into this category of mycoplasma. And I know this is sounding really scientific, but if you're someone who's suffering from what feels like a low-grade UTI or bladder pain, urea plasma is a bacteria that a lot of people are not talking about. And it falls into this category of mycoplasma, which are these microscopic little, some of the tiniest bacteria out there and technically a co-infection of Lyme. So you can, there is a link between that. Also, everyone should get tested for mycoplasma because it can really wreak havoc on the reproductive organs. It can cause fertility issues. It can cause chronic pain, not in everyone, but there is a major link and we're so excited to be having people on the podcast like that have been gynecologists that have switched over to becoming Lyme literate doctors who really understand that bridge because there's so many people out there suffering with chronic bladder pain and they also don't know they have Lyme. So maybe they need to treat both simultaneously in order to holistically heal. Yeah. Another, I think, big element of that is the way that Lyme is called like the great imitator. When you have an Achilles heel in your body, Lyme will attack it. So for me, endometriosis has been one of like the hardest struggles of my adult life. And I've now spoken to countless women who have endometriosis and Lyme and their endo symptoms are highly exacerbated and they're not healing in the same way post-excision surgery as women without Lyme. So then you have to ask yourself, well, I've gotten a a surgery from an amazing excision specialist. There's technically no endo left inside of me. Why am I still in pain? And it's because Lyme can trick the body into attacking itself, into feeling pain, into having inflammation and doing all of these things that can keep you in a cycle of symptoms. There's also an interesting co-infection of Lyme called Bartonella. And in post-mortem autopsies, they've found that people with interstitial cystitis had Bartonella in the tissue of their bladder and Bartonella will live in the muscles and will bury itself and is very difficult to get out of the body. So Bartonella and interstitial cystitis is a huge correlation. And if you have IC and you're, you have Lyme and you're trying to figure it out, I highly suggest that you get tested for Bartonella. Fascinating. All right, Elizabeth, all right, Sammy, thank you so much. This was really a very interesting conversation. Your podcast is Fem Pharmacy, and it's more of this in very, very yes. granular detail, much more <laughs> of this. So if this is something that resonates with people, check it out. I'll put it in the, the liner notes. And I wish you the best of luck. I really, I, I like what you girls are doing. Thank you so much, Jenny. We really appreciate you having us on. And yeah, if anyone is interested in learning more about all of these women's health conditions and how they manifest, check us out at Fem Pharmacy. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 